All right. I'll ask everybody to come to the front and make a circle. <laughs> you laugh. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, I'll spare you that. But but um, I do want I do want uh, some participation um, it, uh, later on. So uh, get ready to uh, participate because it's on prayer and uh, the um, the purpose is for us to uh, know how to pray. So that's uh, participatory. But I'll let you stay where you're seated. You're already comfortable, so we'll do that. Okay. Let's uh, let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that your word calls us to nearness and fellowship with yourself in a way that brings about what it calls for. And so we pray that we would walk nearer uh, to you, that we would grow in this. We pray that we would um, grow as disciples and that this would be reflected in our life of prayer, um, as we draw near to you, as we pray for ourselves, uh, for our world, and for others that we love um, as well. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this school year, we are um, our study is discipleship. Discipleship. Um, we want to grow, and we want to help others grow. And that's actually our purpose here as a church. That's why we're here. That's why we're not in heaven now um, with the Lord, is to be involved in the mission um, and making disciples, uh, which involves outreach and it involves much of uh, helping one another to grow, reaching out to others, even reaching out as a team uh, to others. That's part of uh, what we're doing as a church. And I, I'm, I've made a big emphasis of prayer. This is part three on prayer, and I haven't had any other part threes. I've had some part twos, but um, but I think prayer is a big emphasis of um, discipleship. And I think in a sense, um, the way you're doing as a disciple, all of it is going to be reflected in your life of prayer. So prayer is kind of a microcosm of um, discipleship. So um, this morning, what I'd like to do is uh, just give a number of thoughts on prayer from some verses of scripture. That's what I'm going to do first, a little bit of miscellaneous, just things I've been thinking about as I've been going through these. Uh, now this is the third lesson. And then I want to go through um, Daniel 9. That'll be the main part in scripture, which is just a great, it's a wonderful prayer and it's a, it's a really good model for prayer. So I want to go through it, but be thinking about how this is a model for the things that the Lord has put on your heart to pray for. The Lord put something on Daniel's heart and he prayed for it in a certain way. Um, but, uh, be thinking about how it's a model for how you, your prayers can sound more like, uh, Daniel's. Um, and then I want to uh, use the rest of the time, and this will be the more participatory part, um, is to ask you how to pray about certain requests. And I did this for part two, but it, we ran out of time. So I'll just go through the same ones that we did um, then. They're sort of um, hypothetical. They're sort of general requests. Uh, we could even get more specific and ask how to pray for some of the things on the back of our tableau as well, just how to pray better and, and really to pray according to scripture um, as well and present our requests, not just because we want them, but to try to pray in agreement with the will of God to say, Lord, I, I'm praying for this and I think it's your will because I know you. I know what your character is. I know what your scriptures say. I know what your promises are. And so to present even we've used the word argument. Scripture uses that word. Uh, to the Lord in prayer. And I think um, the Lord wants us to know him, to wrestle with him in prayer by praying according to that way. So one of the verses that's really stuck out to me um, during this study and discipleship and study of prayers from James chapter four, verse one and two, just a couple of really quick uh, comments. 
Um, I'll, I'll read it in context from the beginning of chapter 4, but it's um, verse 2 and 3. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Then he talks about prayer. He's talking about their quarreling and fighting, um, and they're way out of line. But he starts talking about, you know, it's, it reflects something about their prayer life it was off, and here it is. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasure. So they were praying wrong, and then they pretty soon found out they were at each other's throats, um, envying things that maybe they could have had if they would have prayed for, or if they would have prayed for according to the Lord's will. They would have maybe come to a different place, uh, been uh, changed uh, by that um, experience. But what just kind of the thing that jumps out at me here is that James speaks to them in terms of missed opportunities, Missed opportunities. You do not have, and he's talking to them, they're envious. You do not have because you do not ask. It's a missed opportunity. Like, um, well, if you would have asked, then you would have, but you didn't. So you don't, you don't have. Um, and then he does it again in a different way. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And if you would have asked with right motives, a different outcome would have, um, taken place. So he speaks to two problems uh, for prayer. One is prayerlessness, and that's certainly a problem for us, right? Um, you do not have because you do not ask. Good good one uh, to ponder. And then a second problem, which is prayer, but it's not prayer in agreement with God's will. It's prayer in agreement with our will. Um, you ask, yep, you're praying, but and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And so this is not prayer that's in agreement with God's will, but you're really wanting your will to prevail over God's, to spend it on your pleasures instead of what what gives pleasure to him, what is um, his will. And so it's a, a total wrong standard for, pray. it's, and, uh, for prayer. And um, I, I think in a negative way, that second one matches um, an emphasis of Scripture Here's the confidence that we have that if we pray something according to God's will, he will hear us. And um, so we're to strive to pray according to his will. Um, let me read a couple of passages that speak to that in a couple of different ways. John chapter 14, verse 13. The Lord says to his disciples, John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So what does it mean to ask for something in Jesus' name? Or to ask for something that's not in Jesus' name, what would that mean? I think that's part of it. I think that's definitely part of it. Uh, to pray in his name is to pray according to his character, what his name means. I think that's that's part of it. Maybe not all of it, but I think that's certainly part of it. What else? If you're praying something that's sinful. Okay. 
uh, that's obviously contrary to his will. Okay, so that would not be in his name, certainly. Yeah. Okay, anything else? Maybe part of it is to ask a request because of Jesus, not okay. just necessarily his character, but because of what he's done, you're asking something based on that. Okay, good, good. So you're not asking in your own name or based on your own character. You're asking in the name of a substitute, Christ himself. And we, we, should, we pray that. We usually say that. And even if we don't say it, we mean it. And we should be praying in that spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, and so we're praying on his merits, on his deserving, because he's our high priest who's gone into the Holy of Holies and invites us to come through him, not through ourselves or our own deserving or our own righteousness, but uh, through him. But I think that would reorient you also towards praying according to his character and according to the things that um, that his character stands for. And that's the that's the promise, is that if we pray for something in his name, he hears us, meaning, and well, he says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So that's a promise for us um, in prayer. And then another one, it's it's similar, but it's said a different way. First John chapter five, verse 14 and 15. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. So there's the qualifier and this is the confidence. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So what does it mean to ask something according to God's will? What's that? We know his will by scripture. Okay. We know his yeah. How else would we know? If we know his will by scripture, we know what he desires according to scripture, yes. Acknowledging that his will is best. Okay, we that's part of it, certainly part of it, acknowledging what his will is is best. Um, we know his will by scripture, but not necessarily everything that we pray about. I mean we know we have a sometimes very specific sense of his will if he tells us, and sometimes a more general sense of his will, and when we pray about something that's a little more general, that's a lot of our prayer life, pray about things we're not certain the outcome of, Um, we're to seek to pray and ground it on what God desires, what we know of God that he desires, and present it in that light. Lord, I'd I'd like you to do this, and I think it fits your character, and I I think it fits what you would want, what would glorify you, and here's why, and to present it to the Lord in that way. The Lord wants us to pray in that way, I think because we come to know him um, in that way. So it changes us. Habakkuk prayed. He wrestled with God, um, and it changed him, actually. It didn't change the outcome that he was praying about. It changed him. Um, changed him in a way that probably it wouldn't have if he hadn't really wrestled with what, what is God's will in prayer. And he was pretty bold in uh, speaking God, maybe overly bold. Um, but it, it was a help uh, to him. But also praying according to God's will, um, in that way, at least from our perspective, changes things. Changes not just us, but things around us. If you, if you, uh, if you, um, you do not have because you did not ask. So at least from our perspective, praying according to God's will also changes things, um, around us. And so I, I, I might put it this way that God leaves a little bit of wiggle room for the things that, uh, could be His will and we'll have them if we, 
pray for them. And I, I mean that from our perspective. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything. He's determined everything. There's no wiggle room in that sense from his perspective. But I'm talking about from our perspective. And scripture talks about that um, as well. And that's to be an incentive uh, for us to pray. So I'm using wiggle room a little bit, just just more from our perspective. But it, but it's an important perspective because it's to, it's to uh, cause us to pray and to grapple with, well, what is God's will? What would God want in this situation? How should I pray? And the things that I desire, they might be God's will. In fact, they might be God's will because I desire them, because he's put that on my heart. And I'm, I'm, try, I'm seeking to ground it in God's will, understand God's character uh, better. So I've been impressed in looking at prayer and how it relates to discipleship, um, how basically all the aspects of discipleship are interlocking. They're mutually reinforcing, and especially prayer, which is kind of a key to it, because when you're trying to pray, not just according to your will, here's what I want, God, like here's my Santa's list, you know, that I'm going to present. Here's the things I want. But you're trying to ground it in God's will. You're trying to pray according to his will, because that's where we have a guarantee that God is going to answer um, our prayer. It interlocks with a whole bunch of other aspects of the Christian life, such as reading your Bible. That's what we looked at last week. If you're going to pray according to God's will, you need to know what he cares about and what he desires, and you know it from Scripture, so that you're going to be reading uh, your Bible. Um, another aspect of discipleship that we've talked about in this series is seeking to discern the will of God in your life. Um, and Paul prays about that for the people that he writes to, such as the Philippians or the Colossians. That's what he's praying for them continually, that they would come to discern more and more God's will uh, for them. And uh, like in Colossians, he talks about, and it's going to take wisdom. It's not just going to be by rote, you know, by you hearing a command and doing it. It's going to be by you having discernment, wisdom, a spiritual way of looking at life, uh, trying to live your whole life according to God's character. And a lot of the life of discipleship fits into that. And a lot of that is encountered through prayer. Maybe that's where you learn more about what God wills according to a certain uh, situation where you don't have a specific um, word of God, but you're grappling with what his will is or trying to ground your desires in God's will, and I think that helps to um, discern with wisdom what God's will is in a certain situation too. So so the prayer aspect of discipleship touches every other aspect of discipleship and, and uh, reinforces it um, as well. And there's another way, another way that uh, reinforces and another aspect of prayer that I wanted to bring up now that I'm at part three, and it's watchfulness, watchfulness. Prayer um, goes together with an attitude of watchfulness. So are you praying? I hope so. Are you watching? What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, let me show you a couple of scriptures about watchfulness. Um, Psalm 5 and verse 3, which says, In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. Okay, so he's, he does a couple of things in the morning. He prays. He orders his prayer. That's the word that's used. And it's a real interesting word that's used there. Um, it's a word for organizing things in ranks. So um, it's a word that would be used for making an argument. A lawyer, you know, he has to make an argument and he organizes it. He makes a closing statement. It's got, you know, an outline. Everything supports the conclusion. So order can be used for that. But it's also used for a general who's going into battle and he 
organizes his troops. He doesn't just want a mob running at the enemy pell-mell, but he wants uh, tight uh, ranks of troops that are going to be moving as a unit. So um, I will order sort of, again, sort of this idea of arguing with God, presenting arguments with God, even um, opposing what what God seems to be doing uh, because God will often oppose, seem to oppose his character or his will in order to elicit prayer from us. And so we're to say, Lord, this is happening, but look, because your character is different. Your promise to me is different. And so you're organizing your arguments towards uh, the Lord. You're seeking to pray according to his will is, is what that uh, means. But that's not the only thing he does. In the morning, I will order my prayer, something carefully arranged. That's what Daniel's prayer is going to be when we look at it. And eagerly watch. And eagerly watch. So watchfulness is an aspect of discipleship. It's something to grow in. It's something that scripture talks about. Watchfulness is being aware of what God is doing around you and, and specifically seeking for him, seeking to see how he's answering prayer. So you should be growing in prayer. You should also be growing in watchfulness. Um, as David talks about, David was watchful for the way God answered prayer. So he prayed and then he watched to see what God uh, would do and, and grew in that attitude of watchfulness. Colossians 4, verse 2 through 4 talks about prayer. Uh, Paul says here, devote yourselves to prayer, watching in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Um, and King James Version says, devote yourselves to prayer, watching in the same. You, you know, so you're praying and you're also having this attitude of watchfulness. Uh, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Let's read what he tells them to pray for. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I also have been in prison, that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. Do you think that's a prayer according to God's will? According to what you know of God? Okay, do you think that's a prayer that's going to be answered then? He says this is the confidence we have that if we pray according to his will, he hears us. So he asked them to pray a prayer that he he knows fits um, God's will. It's a prayer for boldness in uh, speaking even when he's um, imprisoned uh, for speaking out for the Lord. Thomas Goodwin, he's a Puritan, kind of um, his lifespan is right in the center of the Puritan era. Um, do you remember him? We did a history conference on him, Thomas Goodwin. Um, anyway, he, he has a one of his most well-known sermon is called The Return of Prayers, The Return of Prayers. And the metaphor that he uses is, People in those days um, would invest in a ship to go out and do business. You know, they'd have cargo full of things that people needed in India or somewhere like that. You know, and uh, so the ship would go out, and then you'd invest. You'd have invested, and it was dangerous. You know, you could lose the ship at sea. Um, so what do you do while the ship's away? You watch for it to return. You're not just you don't just forget about it. You know, you're, you're waiting for your investment to return back to you. And so he's talking about that's the way in which we should pray. We should be waiting for the return of prayers. It's like somebody waiting for the return of a ship. He's talking about the attitude of uh, watchfulness. So that's an aspect of um, prayer. Okay, Daniel 9. Daniel 9. So uh, this is a great prayer. It's a bit long. Um I'm going to read almost the whole chapter. We won't get into the last part, but it's a model prayer. It's a model prayer. So as you're looking at this, think about how you should, well, think of something, maybe think of something now that you're praying for. Um, and then think about how Daniel prays for what he's concerned about, for what the Lord has put on his heart. The Lord's put that on your heart, whatever it is. And Daniel doesn't just say, 
Lord, this is what I want. Okay, I'm done praying. No, he, he there's a long runway for it. And um, he puts it in the context of everything that he knows about God and then asks God uh, to do it uh, for his own glory. That's a prayer that God hears, and it's, it's also a prayer that changes Daniel. It helps him to know... Um, um, helps him to know God and to know his character by wrestling with his character in that way. And it also is a prayer that God answers. In other words, it, it not only changes Daniel, but it, at least from our perspective, changes the situation too. That's what Daniel's praying for. That's what he wants. And it's an agreement here with God's will. Okay. Um, chapter nine. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king of the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Okay, he's praying in the first year of Darius, um, the son of Ahasuerus, and that's probably um, Cyrus. Or if, or if it isn't, it's one of his uh, local officials. But it's, it's basically when Persia, at the beginning of when Persia uh, took over. And um, this is a prayer that comes out of reading scripture. So again, it inter- prayer interlocks with um, all the other aspects of uh, discipleship. So Daniel's reading Jeremiah. He's reading a scroll. And those two lived at, a, at the same time. Um, but uh, somehow Daniel had a copy of the the uh, book of Jeremiah and he's reading in Jeremiah and let me let me just read it to you Jeremiah 25 11 and 12 cuz this is where Daniel was reading um this whole land will be a desolation and a horror and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years then it will be when 70 years are completed I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation declares the Lord for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an utter desolation, and I will bring upon that land my words, which I have pronounced against it, and so on. Um, so the desolation in the land of Israel is to last for 70 years until the king of Babylon is judged, which happened because this is the first year of uh, Darius. Um, or there's one other, uh, Jeremiah 29 and verse 10, maybe who's reading this. Um For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. So um, Daniel has counted 70 years, and there's there's a couple of different ways it can be counted, different beginning points and end points. But uh, the beginning point that Daniel is thinking of is the uh, when he was brought to Babylon as a teenager. There was kind of three raids of um, Jerusalem, and that was 70 years ago. You know, so that was when Daniel's a teenager. Now he's in his 80s and he's reading and he's counted 70 years. Interesting. Uh, Daniel takes scripture literally. He doesn't read 70 years and think it's a symbol for some other thing. You know, he's he reads it quite uh, literally. It's not symbolic of uh, something else. He counts the years. And so basically he has a promise and it hasn't happened yet. Part of it's happened. King of Babylon has been judged. Belshazzar, his feast. Um uh, has already happened, but there hasn't been a return to Israel from the exiles. Um, and so that's what Daniel is to set himself to pray on. He's going to pray about it in agreement with God's promise that he's just read. And it's in agreement with God's character. God's promises are all in agreement with his character um, as well. Verse 3, so 
because he read this, I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And so notice what Daniel does here. And notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say, so uh, I put on my pajamas, I got into bed, and I prayed the following right before I drifted off to sleep. He, that's not the prayer that he has here. And I'm, I don't mean to disparage that kind of prayer because the Lord hears any prayer. There's never a bad time to pray. And right before you drift off to sleep is a great time to pray. But that's that's not the prayer we have here. That's um, Daniel says, um, I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting. So we could focus on prayer and sackcloth and ashes, which is something they did to show their humility uh, before the Lord. So um, he gives his full attention. He says he set his face to the Lord in prayer. So this is something that he gives his attention to. And you can tell from the prayer itself that this isn't, this isn't just a completely off-the-cuff prayer. It's a prayer that some thought went into. He's arranging, he's ordering his uh, argument um, before the Lord. And it's a prayer that's filled with Scripture. It's a prayer that's filled with Scripture. He's reading Scripture. That's what the prayer comes out of. But actually, the whole prayer, um, you can tell much of it comes from Scripture, such as Deuteronomy, such as Solomon's uh, prayer when he dedicated the temple in First Kings chapter eight, and Solomon talked about how the prayer would come to the temple and the Lord would answer it. That's what he was asking for. And even when Israel went into exile, that was kind of a big part of Solomon's prayer at the end that they would pray to this place and the Lord would hear and bring them out of uh, exile uh, towards um, towards the temple. So um, he says, "I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said." Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. So this verse starts out with adoration. Um, he doesn't just jump into his request. In fact, his request doesn't come until the end of the chapter. He starts out with adoration. He speaks, starts speaking about God's character and worshiping him for his character, the great and awesome uh, God. He also prays to him he says, I prayed to the Lord, my God, to the Lord, my God. Um, and so you, you'll see um, a lot of what the Lord taught on prayer wasn't completely new. It had a, a, a especially uh, focused point because it, prayer, in a sense, is new after the cross um, and focuses on the cross and the resurrection of Christ. But uh, when the Lord taught uh, us to pray, our Father who is in heaven, it's not totally different from the way Daniel prayed. I prayed to the Lord, not just the Lord, but the Lord my God. That's the way the psalmist prays as well. And that's um, often the reason why he asks God to act, because you are my God. You're the God of my salvation um, in that way. So he's praising God and not just in the abstract or in a view from nowhere, but as my God, as the God that I need, uh, the great and awesome God. Um, he uh, praises him as the God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Uh, which covenant is he talking about? Okay, I may have stumped you there, but that's okay. Or, or, or you're asleep, whatever. But uh, I think it's the Abrahamic covenant because um, you know he's going to pray based on this covenant, and he doesn't pray because the people deserve it because they're actually obedient. You know, he doesn't say, Lord, look down, and if you see, you'll see we're actually obedient. And so even according to the law of Moses, we should be back in the land. 
No, he's uh, praying and he's going to say that they don't deserve it. So um, he's asking God to keep the Abrahamic covenant in which God promised unconditionally to give them the land. And he prays according to the God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness, the the love that's in his heart as well. That's what he's uh, praying uh, toward God for those who love him and keep his commandments. And, and it is a faithful remnant that the Lord saves um, at the end. And so it's um, for those who, the remnant that loves him and uh, keeps his commandment um, is is uh, the ones he's praying to be involved in this um, restoration. Okay, uh, adoration is followed by confession. And that's uh, quite long, verse 5 through 14. And this is done before the request. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is this day. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, and all the countries to which you have driven them, because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him." Thus he has confirmed his words which he has spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us the great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all the deeds which he has done but we have not obeyed his uh, voice. So it's a pretty full confession. It starts out with um, six aspects of Israel's sin, kind of rapid succession. Um, uh, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets. It's kind of approaching his sin from six different directions, uh, the sin of Israel. And so it's a very full um, confession of uh, sin. And then he uh, talks about um, the condition that they're in because they've rebelled against the Lord. And he, he sort of uh, doesn't sugarcoat it. Um, he says in verse 12, Thus he has confirmed his words which he has spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. And here's how he describes it. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. Now, is that true? Has there never been a people that were, um, their homeland was destroyed and they were taken to Babylon? Have that ever happened in um, history? Um, remember Sennacherib when he boasted to Hezekiah and he told him, you're not going to be any different from all these other peoples that, we, that the, the Assyrians in that case had um, taken away into exile and defeated. And he mentions all of them and he says, well, you're no different. So um, what is what is Daniel saying that under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. It was burned and the people were killed and the rest of them were taken into exile. Well, I think what um, Daniel means is th those other nations served idols of wood and stone, but Israel serves the living God, and yet this has happened to them. And un under the whole heaven, there's never been done anything that was done um, in that way, and so that's what he's bringing um, before the Lord. 
And then um, he says that the Lord has been, and this is one of the characteristics of God that he brings up um, a number of times in this prayer. Um, the Lord has been righteous to bring the, all this calamity upon Israel. And that's, that's, he's confessing their sin. He's saying, well, the punishment matches the crime that you've brought uh, upon us. So he says, like in verse 14, the Lord has kept the calamity and storm brought it on us for the Lord. Our God is righteous with respect to all the deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice in righteous in bringing uh, punishment uh, to um, Israel. Um, righteousness in the Old Testament and maybe especially in the Old Testament prophets and in Psalms as well is a bit of a double edged sword in the way it applies to God and in the way it applies to God's interaction with his um, people. The idea of righteousness is the idea of measuring up to a standard perfectly, not too much, not too little. Um, so the prophets talk about a time when people will use a righteous omer and a righteous ephah. You know, in other words, they're not cheating each other. They don't have a bag with different weights and measures based on whether they're buying or selling um, to cheat uh, people. But an omer will be an omer. Uh, 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 an ephah will be an ephah that fully measures up to what an ephah is. And so that's what the word um, righteousness means. And it's used in two ways with God that are almost are opposite in, in kind of in the way that it uh, comes across. Um, one is that God is righteous because he's just to punish sin. And that's according to his justice. So God has a standard of justice and he punishes every sin. And he's righteous when he does that. Um, and not too much, not too little is the way in which he does that. But there's another way in which God's righteousness is spoken of. And that's when he makes a promise and especially a promise to save. So to speak, he's not righteous until he does it. He does not, he doesn't measure up to what he's promised to do, um, until he saves. And so, um, righteousness can be used in both ways or both ways at once, like it is in this prayer. Um, because it's the same righteousness by which God punishes every sin is the same righteousness that he keeps his promises and even his promise to save um, Israel. And so um, Daniel can kind of base one on the other. God measures up to everything that it means to be God, which means to punish sin, but it also means to keep his promises, which are to save. And of course, I think what I'm talking about kind of resolves in the substitutionary death of Christ. That's where you can see that God does it all and still saves. He uh, keeps his promise to save. So anyway, he's uh, mentioned God's righteousness, but he's mentioned it in terms of, Lord, you're righteous to bring everything that's happened to us uh, upon us. You haven't been unfair. You've perfectly um, brought exactly what we deserved, and you're righteous in that way. But he's going to speak of God's that same righteousness in the petition that he makes, and that's what the next section is, um, to ask God to save based on his righteousness. So um, verse uh, 15, let me read the petition part of this prayer, verse 15 to 19. Now he's finally to the petition. He's the, the adoration, the um, the confession, and now the, the request. Verse 15, and now, O Lord, our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked, O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, okay, there's there's the right there's this double-edged sword of righteousness that I'm talking about. In accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away. 
from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have been a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. So um, he presents his request, and um, the beginning of the request is the Exodus. O Lord, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself. You know, that was the beginning, um, well, not the beginning of the Lord making promises, but kind of the beginning of the Lord showing who he is on the world stage. He made some promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not a ton of people heard about that probably in the world, but but uh, what he did with Israel in delivering them from Egypt, from the Red Sea, everybody heard about it. And that was the point. It was the Lord uh, showing his name on the earth. And so he's he's basing it on God's past acts and saying, Lord, complete this project. Don't let don't let it run uh, off the tracks, um, but keep doing what you've done before. So he begins with um, the Exodus. The purpose is for the you know, so so what Daniel's praying for, he's praying that some people from Israel would go back to Jerusalem, uh, would establish the city there. So it would be instead of desolations and would rebuild the temple. Um, but he's saying it not just because he desires it, but he says, Lord, I want you to do this. So do it for your name, do it for your reputation on, uh, the earth that you would, uh, answer, answer, um, my prayer. Okay. He mentions, um, righteousness of God. He's basing his prayer on God's righteousness in a different way. It's because God has made unconditional promises. He's asking God to be righteous and now measuring up to those uh, unconditional promises that he's made for Israel. And he makes it clear that he's asking not on behalf of any righteousness of um, himself or his people. We are not presenting our supplications before you, verse 18, on account of any merits of our own. And my translation says merits, but it's just the word righteousness. Of any righteousness of our own, but on account of your great compassion. So not according to the people's righteousness, he's asking this, but according to God's mercy, his compassion, his abundant compassion, his great um, compassion. And then um, at the end, um, verse 19, he comes to kind of the emotional high point of this prayer. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. Oh, my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. It's kind of the emotional. It's like you're appealing to somebody at the end. Um, this is the way you're supposed to build the speech. Probably a lawyer for a closing argument, actually a sermon as well, although I don't think I always do that. I should is that the conclusion should be the emotional high point of the message. Um, you know, you've built your argument and now. You, the conclusion should be the appeal to the person's um, uh, emotions, the, the highest point. And that's what it is for this prayer. And you think about that and you say, well, God doesn't have emotions. Who, who's Daniel uh, appealing uh, to? Uh, God doesn't change. He doesn't have emotions uh, like us. And yet this pleases God to be appealed to in this way. Uh, for us to appeal to him in this way, he deals with us not on his level, like he is dealing with another peer. Sometimes that's the way we'd like to approach him. Uh, 
approach him from his uh, standpoint of immutability and approach him like we're another God, another sovereign God. We don't understand what it means to be a sovereign God, and that's the level we're going to deal with him. Well, he wants to deal with us on the human level. In fact, that's the only way he deals with us is according to the foolishness uh, of God. He hides himself from the wise, um, but he reveals himself to those who approach him humbly and like a child. And that's how Daniel's approaching him. And that's what God responds to. It actually honors uh, him. And I think in part because he seems to oppose his promise and his character, that's what he's doing here in order to elicit this kind of prayer so that his people would know him through prayer and so that his actions, his saving actions, which are like a sudden U-turn, it's not like uh, um, seeming directly to come from his immutability, uh, like from our perspective, of course, God is immutable in himself. Um, but he does this way in, in order that his sudden action to save or sudden action to judge uh, would be in answer to our prayers. So um, do you pray like this? Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Or your prayer is a little more dispassionate to the Lord. Well, here's my request. That's it. Um, well, uh, Daniel gives this model, model uh, prayer, and he really appeals to uh, the Lord, and I think he does so in a way that uh, honors the Lord in the way that the Lord uh, responds to in answer to a prayer that's according to his will. Okay, let me read just that. That's the end of the prayer, but let me read some of the response to it. Verse 20. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Uh, Daniel describes his prayer here. He's, he says he's confessing his own sin um, as well. He says that the answer came, this angel messenger, uh, came to him in extreme weariness. There's a little question about whose weariness. Was it the angel's weariness in coming? Because the angels had some uh, opposition in coming, or is it Daniel's? It seems to be Daniel's. My translation says that. He came to me in my extreme weariness, the exertion of his prayer at the time of the evening um, offering. Um, and then the angel says to him, at the beginning of your supplication, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you. And that's an interesting thing about prayer, and it shows kind of how eager the Lord is to answer prayer. Um, as soon as Daniel became, began praying, the answer was sent. Um, and so that shows uh, the Lord's eagerness to answer prayer. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you ask with wrong motives to spend it on your pleasures instead of basing it on God's will. But when you uh, give a prayer that is according to God's will, the answer comes as soon as you start praying. Um, and so that's uh, encouragement for us to um, pray. Um, so I won't read the last part because it gets so technical about the prophecy that comes. He's, he's going to give a prophecy about the um, what Daniel's praying about. Daniel's praying about 70 years that have uh, come to pass already, and the answer is going to come in terms of another 70. Daniel, you're praying about 70 years, but there's another 70. There's a future for Israel, and it's, it's going to take a little while to unfold because it's 77s of um, years, but it focuses on uh, the temple and what's going to happen in the temple. And this is going to be a 70 that's going to finish all of God's purpose and program is what he says, um, and bring an end to all of God's uh, purposes. Um, the only thing I'll mention about it is that it focuses on Christ. 
talks about Messiah the Prince coming at a certain point in time and then being uh, cut off. And so that's important to think about for our prayers. Christ says, without me, you can do nothing. You're praying according to God's will. You're appealing to the attributes of God and according to his promises. But scripture says in the New Testament about these uh, 2 Corinthians one twenty, as many are the promises of God in him there, yes, in Christ there, yes. And it's, uh, Christ says about the, the character of God, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So why do you say show us uh, the Father? So the attributes of God, the promises of God have a focal point in Christ, and that's not really new <laughs> um, because uh, that's where the angel directs Daniel's attention. Um, it's new in the sense that Christ has come, so now we can see. But um, for the Old Testament saints, that, that was the same focus in um, expectation. Okay, so character traits that Daniel uh, speaks of the Lord, his righteousness, his greatness, his compassion, um, his willingness to forgive, uh, promises, the promise, um, unconditional promises that God has made uh, for um, Israel, and... I've left a little bit of time for what I wanted to get to, which was to pray, to um, ask you how to pray for just kind of, and I've chosen just kind of some generic uh, requests here, and to pray according to God's will, to, to ask, and to ask not to spend it on your own pleasures, but to ask in agreement with God's will. So how would you pray for a new house? And uh, this is a good one. I, this is one of the first things I remember praying for. Um, when I was born, we lived out in Troutdale in a house, and we moved when I was five to southwest Portland. But uh, um, I remember praying uh, for a house, and my dad had a little red and black book, very neatly written prayer request. Uh, so we'd pray uh, for a house, a house with stairs. I remember that part, and we did we did have a house with stairs. Um, so how do you? What would be a reason to pray? For a new house, maybe for a bigger house, different house than the one that you have, and pray according to God's will. How would you do that, or according to his character? Okay. He meets the needs of his people. It's part of his character, part of his promises. Okay. Maybe for hospitality. Okay. Okay, I think that's a good a good thing to pray. It's to pray to the Lord. Um, I'm praying for this house and I'm going to use it for ministry to people. I'm going to use it according to your will. I'm going to use it for hospitality. Um, I don't think that's bargaining with God. You know, uh, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. I don't think it's the same thing. I think when you're praying according to God's will, it reorients you. It reorients your request according to his will too. And I think of um, Hannah uh, for that um, she was praying for a son. She wanted a son. Her rival was bothering her about uh, that, and she was praying for a child. Uh, she was barren, and in the midst of her praying, she said, Lord, if you give me a child, I will dedicate him to you, and a razor will never touch his head, and I'll be dedicated to you in the temple. I don't think I don't think she was bargaining with God, you know, like an IOU. If you do this for me, then I owe you one. I'll, I'll do this uh, for you. I think she was praying according to God's will. She was situating her prayer according to God's will and it helped her to actually what um, Paul prays for, for the Philippians of the Colossians, 
to know God's will in a certain situation. I think that helped her to know what God's will was for this firstborn uh, child. And uh, she had a conviction about it, that he was to be uh, raised in uh, the temple. And then God gave her more than she bargained for. Um, I don't think she was bargaining, but uh, the Lord gave her three sons and two daughters uh, beyond that. But uh, yeah, I think if you're praying for a house, uh, probably a bigger house that would provide more, that sort of thing, um, that you would also pray might reorient your prayer to, to what you're praying for. I'm praying for this, not just for myself, but I'm praying for it for others as well. Anything else? Perhaps to direct your prayer as, Lord, you have, you seem to have exposed this need. Show us how you're going to meet this need or make us content in your provision now. Okay. And we think it's a house. Okay. Maybe it's a new house with stairs. What if it's a ranch? <laughs> That's good. That's good because there's no promise that the Lord is going to give you that house. And so you pray for it. You you pray it according to God's will, but you end it with, and your will be done. I don't want it if it's not your um, will, and you're not sure that it is uh, going to be um, his will. It It's likely, if the Lord's put it on your heart, he loves to answer prayer. So it's likely, but if not, if he has something better for you, something that you're not praying for, you don't want that prayer. So that's that's part of what you're saying. That's good. Yeah, if you don't have a promise, then you pray, but not my will, but your will uh, be done. And that's a good thing to pray for. You want to pray that way. You don't want something that is uh, opposite to God's will, but you're to bring his re- bring your request and, and grapple with what could be God's will and your desire first. Don't just jump to, well, not not my will, but your will be done. That's your whole prayer. You won't pray if that's your whole prayer. Um, and that's not the way in which we're uh, to pray before the Lord. Okay, how about the um, how about the salvation of a child? How would you pray that in agreement with God's will or his character? before the Lord and ask for wisdom and how to lead and guide this child to spiritual knowledge and uh, realizing that the Lord has determined for each of us what he's already determined that you continue to pray. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of what you're praying for and that you, you're praying for it consistently, you know, and that's the way in which the Lord has answered that prayer many times is through long, persistent prayer for the salvation of a child. Um, how might that request, do you think, match God's will or match his character not, or his promises? Not willing that any should perish. Okay. Okay. That's in the Bible. Okay. <laughs> Good. He Good. came to seek and to save that which is lost. Okay. Yeah, yeah it matches his character. To seek and save the lost. And he's so, a loving and merciful God. Yeah, so it matches what we know about God to save um, in that way. Does it match any promises of Scripture? Go, go ahead, Dylan. I know in a number of the, the major and minor prophets, it says that um, one of the reasons why the Lord was punishing Israel is when he was looking, he was expecting a righteous offspring in the nation. 
and you looked and they weren't there. So there's at least an illusion in some of those writings that you know, the Lord, you know, one of the things that he desires is a generation to follow that knows and loves the Lord as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's attention in that passage and even at the end about turning the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. So there's a, the Lord cares about a generational um, faithfulness to him. It's something that it's not just uh, something um, uh, that God doesn't care about. It's, it's something that he uh, talks about in scripture. Okay. We don't have a specific promise that every child of a believer is going to be saved. We don't have that, but it matches God's character to save, to save children of believers and to answer prayers to save an answer to prayer. If the Lord does put someone, anyone on your heart uh, to pray, it's likely that the Lord is going to save them. Why would he put them on your heart if he, if he weren't to uh, save them and sort of pray uh, in, in, with um, uh, expectation in that way? Okay, I've kind of run out of time again, and I want to end here. The other, the other three that we're going to look at um, was restoration of a relationship. A lot of people are praying for that, that's a prayer you can pray to the Lord, a prayer that might change you too. Um, recovery from sickness, that's one where we don't we don't have a, a guarantee we're going to recover from sickness, but I, I think we should pray for healing. Um, and I think the Lord often answers uh, that prayer for us, and it matches His character to uh, answer that prayer. And then uh, the final one would be growth in holiness, growth in holiness. And I think for that one, you have an answer. For that prayer, I don't think you need to pray, um, "Thy will be done, not mine," or "I'm not sure this is Your will," uh, because there are promises, including, um, "He who began a good work and you will complete it until the day of Christ." That, that's that's a way to pray um, according to God's will. Lord, You've done this in the past, so complete what You've done. Uh, Daniel even prayed that way. Lord, You You uh, saved us. You brought this nation out of Egypt. Remember, You brought us out of Egypt. So. Don't abandon us now, even in the midst of our sin. Do it, but act for your name. So uh, that's a, a way to pray according to God's character. He never changes, so ask him to finish what he started and to do it even according to our growth in holiness. Okay, well, I hope those will help us to pray, one, and to pray not just according to our pleasures, but in agreement with what we know of God's will, of his character, and of his promises. Um, as well. And uh, if we pray in that way, he hears us. We have the things that he um, requests. Or if his will is done and not ours, we have something better. But uh, you're going you're to be better for uh, uh, praying um, in this way and um, uh, developing this attitude of praying or to pray without ceasing. Okay, let's, uh, let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we uh, thank you for uh, what your scriptures teach us about how to pray. And so we, we pray that as disciples, our question would be like uh, your disciples asked or John's disciples asked him, teach us to pray and that we would heed and listen, that we would not just pray according to what we think of prayer, but of the way in which we're taught to pray, which is according to your character, according to your promises. And uh, we thank you that we have the things that we ask for or better and that we're encouraged to seek and find, to ask and receive, to knock and the door shall be open. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.